Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Mosa Duran, and this is Beyond the Kale, the podcast where people come to share their vegan stories. Now, whenever somebody finds out I'm vegan, I get all kinds of questions, including... But how do you get your protein? Being vegan is expensive, Why right? Why you go vegan? What's your name? And the one that I get more often than I ever thought I would... How can you be Mexican and vegan? Now, to be honest, the answer usually depends on who's asking, because sometimes... I just don't feel like getting into it. But that ain't happening here. On Beyond the Kale, we're getting into all types of topics, including some that we as vegans often just don't talk about. Episode number one, coming right up. Hi, my name is Maya Madsen, founder of Maya's Cookies. My favorite place to get vegan food would have to be Plant Power Fast Food, where I love to get the filet of fishless sandwich with an order of iconic fries and a shake on the side. Hello, welcome to Beyond the Kale, episode number one. That was Maya Madsen, our first ever guest on the podcast. She's a founder of Maya's Cookies, which is the number one black-owned gourmet vegan cookie company in the country. Now, during our conversation, we covered a lot, including the importance of supporting black-owned businesses and what prepared her for success when Maya's Cookies experienced a 10,000% increase in sales literally overnight. Now, for those of you not familiar with her company, we start the episode off with Maya herself filling you in on what exactly Maya's Cookies is known for. Check it out. Maya's Cookies are known for our decadent, delicious, forward-thinking flavored gourmet vegan cookies. We are what I would consider the Mrs. Fields of the vegan world. So our cookies are flavors that uh, remind you of a classic Mrs. Fields, such as white chocolate macadamia, chocolate chip s'mores, brown sugar butterscotch, the everything. And of course, we have gluten-free options as well. How long have you been baking? Has, you know, baking cookies been something that you've been doing for a very long time? I've been baking for quite a while. I'm not a classically trained pastry chef. I'm a mom with three sons who loves to cook. That's my love language. That's how I show love. And I have a knack for cooking. So I've been baking for years. Where did the idea for Maya's cookies come from? The idea for Maya's cookies came from my love of desserts. I spent 30 years in the fitness industry and always, and I still do eat very clean. And on my cheat day, I wanted a plant-based ooey gooey cookie. And at the time, you know, 15 years ago, there just wasn't anything on the market. So I took a classic chocolate chip recipe and veganized it, added my own touch. And that became my signature food item, I guess you could say, amongst my three young sons, all their friends knew me as the mom that made the best chocolate chip cookie. So that was kind of my signature dish, I guess you could say. So yeah, the idea came from lack of options in the marketplace. When you decided to make the jump from, you know, making vegan delicious cookies for yourself and and your sons and their friends into actually making a business out of this, was there something motivating you to start that business? Oh yeah. Lots of things. So there are a couple things that happened around that time. One, um, I had two sons in college at the same time. So I was faced with double tuition bills. So I wanted to find a way to just bring in some extra money because every dime our family had was going towards their tuition. 
So I was trying to find, you know, just some way to bring in a little extra money into the family. And also I was using my vegan cookies as a way to introduce my clients since I was a personal trainer, my students into veganism. It's like a gateway food. You know, I was able to show them that you could still eat plant-based and enjoy all the same things that you have always enjoyed. So there were those two reasons and the demand. um, I started selling them out of my home kitchen to my students and I was selling hundreds, hundreds a week. So I decided at that point, maybe there's some merit to this and I should look into it and see if I can turn this into a business. So that's what happened. And at that time, I decided to start at the local farmers markets because I'm a numbers cruncher and realized that was the most cost effective way to launch my business was at the farmers market. So that's what I did. How was the response uh, when you launched that business? The response wasn't great. Everybody that walked by, I would have to, you know, I'd say, hey, do you want to sample a vegan cookie? And at the time, veganism wasn't so trendy. So people would go vegan, ew, vegan, what's that? And this is in California, in San Diego, where this is a vegan hotspot. So uh, it was difficult in the beginning. So I decided to take the word vegan off of my uh, banner on my sign and just put Maya's cookies. It did say Maya's vegan cookies. So once I did that, people would stop by because who can't refuse a cookie sample? And people would eat it and say, oh my gosh, that's delicious. And I'd say, and they're vegan. And at some points they would say, no way. And other people would say, what does that mean? Or other people would say, that's rad. Yay. So that's that was my sales technique. And my voice would be sore because every person that walked by my booth, I would ask them to come sample. So wow. So you get you saw a significant increase in traffic stopping at your booth when you took the word vegan off your banner. I sure did. And then what would happen as a result of that is uh, people would post about me because they were so fascinated and uh, uh, this cookie that's vegan and it was so delicious. So it was kind of a trickle down or a, a tsunami, I guess. People were so excited to share. I found these cookies and they're vegan. So we had a, a social media buzz going around San Diego that there's a new vegan cookie vendor. And um, in the beginning, the vegans found out about me and they definitely supported my business and helped my growth. And I still stay in touch with a lot of those customers from that um, purchased from me from day one, believe it or not, because the vegan community, you know, we support each other. So they're part, definitely part of the Maya's cookies family and part of this journey I've been on. And I'm happy to share everything with them as well. So um, I'm from San Diego originally, but I wasn't vegan when I was there. I actually didn't go vegan until I was in Los Angeles. And I found the vegan community in the area of Los Angeles that I was living in the San Fernando Valley to mm-hmm. be very, you know, close knit, right? The, I, I got to know a lot of the vendors and um, I saw that support. And I saw a lot of events, uh, pop up events where it was nothing but vegan food vendors. Oh, yeah. Is, is there that kind of thing happening in San Diego these days? Absolutely. Well, not not now during COVID, but prior to COVID, we had several events like that. And that was what really helped our business grow. I really focus on the quality of our product. I don't want to be one of those vendors that, you know, is inconsistent or unreliable. So I put my all into the branding the way that our booth is set up at the festivals, the way my staff, the character of my staff, our customer service. To me, it was an entire experience and a package. So I really focused on that. And 
was consistent with that at every pop-up event that we participated in. And it people knew to trust our brand and trust us and knew that they were going to get great customer service, great quality product. And we, when we're able to give back, uh, when I was able to, we started giving back to the community. So I really, I always visualize myself as being kind of the, the room mom of the San Diego vegan scene. I want to be business that people know if they need something, they can come to us. If they need us to host an event to help their cause, they can come to us. So I really embrace that. And yes, we do have, we did have a lot of pop-up events. They're wonderful. It's definitely a family environment, meaning the vendors are all family as well. And we support each other because, um, you know, once one of us sees success, it's our job to lift up the others and, and, uh, it's great. I love it. And I love eating all the delicious vegan things at those pop-up festivals. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? And I think that's great, right? Uh, the conversation I was having with uh, someone else the other day was, I don't see other communities where you have, you know, uh, other business owners, which could potentially be viewed as like your competition, right? I don't, I don't see that type of uh, camaraderie, if you will, and in and, and other communities. So I think it's an amazing thing to, to, to witness and, you know, not, yeah. I'm not a food vendor, but to be a part of that entire vegan community, I, I think it's pretty cool. Right. Well, that's, you know, the whole being a vegan is part of that is our compassion to animals yeah. and to the human race. Yeah. So if you're not, if you don't value that, then how can you consider yourself a true vegan? I mean, and I don't want to get into that, but because I say there's no, in my opinion, there's no rules to veganism. Everyone has their own journey and it's your own personal journey, but you know, compassion is a huge part of that. And on that same note, after three years of running my business, I was able to move into my own commercial kitchen space. And what I did is I, decided to rent out my kitchen space at a low rate to other vegan female uh, food makers so that they can have a safe, clean vegan environment to produce their product when they're just starting out at a low rate. And also they could piggyback on my cost when I order supplies because I'm obviously ordering them a larger bulk than they can. So I saw the value of that. So, and we still do that in the hours that we're not using our facility. I rented out to other vegan makers that um, just to, as a way to help our community. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. It really goes to show how compassionate and how close knit the vegan community really is. Absolutely. You touched on something a little bit that I want to dive into a little bit deeper. Sure. You said there was a lot of pop-up events going on in San Diego and your business model kind of revolved around, you know, farmers markets and in-person events. How was uh, COVID for you, right? With the lockdowns in California and, and social distancing and people, you know, staying home and in-person events kind of not being allowed. How did that affect your business? Yeah. Well, it greatly affected my business. I've always uh, made sure that we were diversified, meaning I do farmer's markets, but I also dabble a little, dabbled in a little bit of wholesaling to coffee shops. And I also had an online uh, website. And the goal for me of Maya's Cookies, I didn't think our product should be kept in San Diego. We, Being in a tourist city, we get a lot of uh, visitors and they would come to the pop-ups or come to the farmer's market, try our cookies, and then email me once they got back to their home state saying, can you ship to us? So that's how my website started. So I had goals of growing my online presence in my website. 
And I was taking the necessary steps to do that. And we were slowly growing. And when COVID happened, all the farmers markets and events stopped. So I had to rely solely on my e-commerce. So I did lay off half of my staff. We had seven people working at the time. So I laid off half of my staff. And I said, we're just going to try to keep our online presence uh, strong enough to keep the lights on. So what I did is I sent out cookie box packages to all sorts of different media outlets. And I really focused on being a Black entrepreneur. I focused on the Black community, meaning Black organizations, just letting them know, hey, we're here. Because being a Black woman, I know that we support our ch- each other, uh, just like the vegan community supports each other. In the Black community, it's even stronger. So I was reaching out to all my different Black organizations, letting them know we have these delicious cookies if you ever need cookies. And that was working. We were, our online sales were keeping the lights on. And then with the horrific death of George Floyd and all the social injustice and unrest that was happening in the world, our business ended up on several lists that were circulating around the internet. And we went from 20 orders a day to June 2nd, we had 3,000 orders and 3,000 the next day, 3,000 the next day until it got to a point where we had 10,000 orders in our queue. So uh, that's how COVID affected us. I had to bring back my staff. I had to hire 30 additional temporary employees. I had to rent. And uh, all this, uh, mind you, is within a two-day period. So I had to, wow. within two days, I had to hire 30 additional temporary employees. I had to secure a second warehouse to, uh, to sub- hold all the supplies we were going to need because 10,000 orders, you know, 10,000 boxes takes up a lot of space. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and 10,000 packaging <laughs> materials and tape guns and all the things that go into uh, packaging. So I had, and I had to buy uh, automated equipment to help us expedite. I had to do all of that within two days and it was daunting. Uh, I am so grateful to everyone who supported our business because that their support allowed me to scale up six times over. And I didn't think I was going to be able to get to that point until the year 2025. That was my goal. So because of that support in June, we we were able to scale up six times over and I didn't have to take a bank loan. I was able to use the revenue from that June spike to scale my business up. And so I'm so grateful for that support. That was huge. So after it took us a while to get those orders fulfilled on our website, it says three days. Once your order is placed, um, we bake and ship it within three days. So we had to hurry and take that down. And I went on social media to let everyone know that it was going to take us a little while. We're working around the clock, but with this many orders, it was going to take a little bit more than three days. So it was going to take at least two weeks um, once you place your order. And I really thought that we were going to end up having, to refund customers and less than 1% of people ask for a refund. Oh, the wow. support was overwhelming. People would send us messages saying, don't worry, don't send somebody else's order before mine. I'm not in a hurry. So just so much support. That's great. Wow. Yep. Um, like you said, something like that could be very daunting, right? You went from you and your business went from having to lay off half your staff within a two day period, having to, you know, rehire them and 30 additional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and everything else you had to do to, you know, fulfill those orders was, do you think there's anything in your past or anything, any any character traits that you possess or anything that, you know, prepared you or, you know, aided you in meeting that moment? Cause that, like you said, sounds very daunting. Yeah. Cause I thank you so much for asking that because you're the first person that's asked me that. And I know the answer to that. And I thought the, I thought about this a lot because I, 
I had a really difficult life and I was, uh, I had to learn to fend for myself. I can remember back at the age of three and now being a mom and having my own kids, I would look at my kids and be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I was on my own taking care of myself since that age. So yes, I had a very difficult upbringing and I used to, um, you know, I was very food insecure Mm. and there were a lot of times I just had to put my big curl pants on and figure out how to survive day to day. And I remember praying to God and saying, why, why is my life like this? You know, why, how come I can't be like everyone else, you know, the Brady Bunch or Mm. just, you know, why, why do I have all these struggles? And, you know, I would ask God in my head. And, you know, when we went through 2008 and everyone, when the uh, economy took a dive, I remember thinking, okay, I've prepared for this my whole life. I know how to fall on a budget and I know how to turn two beans and an ounce of rice into a gourmet meal. So for me, that was no big deal. I'm like, all right, I know how to cut back. But when this, um, I guess I have perseverance and mental toughness because I gone through a lot in my short life and experienced a lot. And it came into play during that time. And I say that because I can see where that would have crushed anyone. It was extremely difficult having to make a lot of decisions very quickly, having to manage all of those things going from 20 orders a day to now you're like a major Nabisco. And I didn't go to school for supply chain. I didn't go to school for business. It's all my instinct and gut and mental toughness and relying on mentors to help me get through this and making good decisions. So it was challenging. And I talked to a, one of my fellow vendors who was experiencing the same thing. And I remember he said to me, I'm going to shut my website off because I'm just having a mental breakdown and I can't handle this. And I had to talk him off the ledge. And I said, I am too, but you're going to get through this just like I am. Just be strong. You need that mental toughness. No, it's not easy. So that scale up was not easy. And it did uh, crush some businesses because they just couldn't handle, they didn't have the resources to be able to, or the bandwidth to get that done. And I saw it firsthand. So, you know, I talked him off the ledge and I said, you got this. Don't turn your website off. I even thought about turning my website off. And oh, my wow. men- Luckily, I have great mentors. And my mentor said, don't you dare shut off your website businesses kill for opportunities like this and you need to do whatever it's going to take to get this done. And when I heard that, I said, okay, you're right. So my motto in life is I put my big girl pants on and get things done. And it's just extreme mental toughness. It's perseverance. It's knowing how to get knocked down and pick yourself up and not be afraid and not let it cripple you. And that's just something that I've always had and I think just, yeah, my upbringing, having to deal with this, not this magnitude, but having to deal with life situations at an early age and figure your life out on your own mm-hmm. prepared me for this. <laughs> you mentioned how Maya's business was, was featured on a couple of different lists, you know, promoting the idea of supporting Black businesses and Black business owners. Um, that was last year, right? Uh, we're a year removed from it. Do you feel like that same desire to support Black businesses and Black business owners uh, remains, um, not just in San Diego or in the vegan community, but in general? 
I think it remains, but not at the scale that it did. I thought a lot of the people were reacting to what was the latest. Okay, here's what I'm supposed to do right now is pick a black business and buy from it. And the sad thing about that is that there are lots of businesses such as mine that had to hire staff, buy equipment, rent facilities in order to fulfill those orders. And once they fulfill those orders, nothing else. So they still have all those bills to pay. They still have that staff to pay. So I really do hope that people, if they like the product or the service, that they will remember that and continue to support that business. And there are a couple things that happened during this past year from people supporting Black-owned businesses that happened to me. One of the things is, uh, you know, having 10,000 orders, there's bound to be one or two errors. We do our absolute best to make sure that your order is high touch, perfect from start to finish. And we take great lengths to, I'm very particular, my name's on the brand. And we take great lengths to make sure that happens. But every now and then there's going to be a mishap or a mistake. And what I noticed on several, so many occasions that when that would happen is what the response of the customer would be, my order was messed up and I tried to support a black owned business and here's what I got. So in other words, you're canceled or in other words, just as I thought it was going to be messed up, that sort of thing. And to me, that's an insult and that's a slap in the face. And if you were to flip the script, it would seem so ridiculous. What if I went to, let's say a white owned oil change place and I went to go get my oil changed and I wasn't happy with something. How ridiculous would it sound for me to say, you know, I only came here because I was trying to support a white male owned business and look at what I got. So now you need to refund me and I'm going to go on all social media and tell people how bad your customer service was. You know, that's if I were to flip the script and, It would, doesn't that sound ridiculous? It sounds terrible. Yeah. And, you know, people go to Starbucks and their order gets messed up and they're right back in the line at Starbucks the next day and the next day and the next day after that. If we make a human error on your order, that's all. Sorry, we're trying to support a black owned business and my order is messed up. So I'm never going to shop from you again. And we heard that, you know, several times, even a, a corporation that wanted to. We do corporate orders, which mm-hmm. I'm extremely proud of because they're just fantastic. And there was just a small little mishap on one of a, a corporate order that we did. And the buyer from this major corporation, I'm talking million dollar corp, zillion dollar corporation, the buyer, when I you know emailed them and apologized for the error and let them know we were going to make it right and blah, blah, blah. Her response to me was, well, you know, we sought you out because you were black and female owned. And therefore, because of that, I'm going, I don't think that you're you know, offer to make it right is acceptable. I think that we should get X amount more discount and blah, blah, blah. And I was just thinking, you know, how's that supporting me? Because a lot of times that discount that I was giving you to help your business or let me back up, a business will call us. I'm talking million dollar major brand name corporations and say, we want to support black owned business. We're going to send gifts to all of our employees for holiday. But, you know, we need a discount. You have to give it to us at a discount or, you know, they'll ask for a discount. And I'm happy to get the business, but I, you know, we're so small that that 20% discount you're asking for because your volume is high is a lot of times the only profit that we make. So therefore, we're not making any profit now. (laughs) So it's not really helping us. And I wish, I love all that business and I don't want to sound negative, but I just want people to know that 
you know, if you're, if you really want, truly want to support, we're, our, we're not making a, a lot of money. And so if you ask for that discount, a lot of times that discount is the only profit we were going to make off of your order. So it's not really helping us. And yeah. I don't know any uh, nice way to say it or communicate that because, you know, I'm appreciative that they found me and they want to use our product, but I just, you know, it puts me in a bind. Yeah. Because I don't want to sound ungrateful for their business, but I also want them to know that they're a multi-million dollar corporation and I'm just a small business with 15 employees trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to learn that sometimes. I know you said there's a, you're trying to find a way to say that nicely, but I mean, sometimes it just, the best way to be is just direct, right? And, and um, that's crazy that these corporations that can't afford to, you know, pay the money that they are hoping to avoid paying. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, <laughs> that's weird. it's Jose, there's a, it's, it's a fine line because being a black woman, there's that fine line where you're the angry black woman or the stereotypical. Mm. So I have to walk that fine line yeah. too. Yeah. You know, it's a balanced thing. Yeah. And they don't know me and I don't want them to stereotype me or my business or any, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's hard yeah. being a black woman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's obviously a struggle that I don't know, right? But um, that you, you just brought up something that white business owners don't have to deal with. Even uh, other business owners of color don't necessarily have to deal with that, you know, making sure that your actions aren't making other people uncomfortable. Exactly. That's just not fair, right? Exactly. Um, so I, I get yeah. that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know it. It's not my lived experience, but. I am aware that, that, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, black women yeah. do have to deal with that. And that's very unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. Um, Thank you. I'm just now starting to speak more about uh, the people that are giving pushback when we make an error. Because if they only knew how hard my staff and I work to ensure that every order is perfection, yeah. like the perfection from the bakers, like... You know, I, if it's not perfect, we can't send it out. So just the perfection that they're working on. And then in the packaging department, there's a certain way that we have them packaged so that it's beautiful and perfect every time as well. And so when people, when there is a error made, which is not, you know, we don't have a lot of errors being made, yeah. but when it does get made and someone throws that back in my face, it's just so hurtful because we try so hard to make that order perfect. And then they're going to say, you know, the whole black thing. I was trying to support a black business. It's just so hurtful that I said, I'm going to start speaking on that because I wish people knew. And people should know, you know, people should know that those are the types of comments that are being made by, by some people that are <laughs> professing to want to help black business owners. I mean, that's, that, that's not acceptable any, under any circumstances, obviously. But I mean, I, I just yeah. I, I can't understand how people think it's okay to say those types of things. It's not okay to thank them, mm -hmm. let alone Sam. So, yeah, I know. Yeah, we get, and of course, you know, we have to take extra care. A lot of times we, you know, we take extra care because we want people to be happy because of cookies. Yeah. So, but it's just, it just stabs at me because I try so hard to make sure that their experience is going to be outstanding. And then, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I, I know the importance of it. Um, but, I have also heard some people 
kind of push back on the idea of why are we, you know, making it a point to support black owned businesses and black business owners, right? Can you, do you have any thoughts or what do you say to people when, when you sure hear do. that? Yes, I sure do. Um, so there's another bakery brand that's similar to mine. And I remember reading their story and their story is, you know, they, their family helped them start a business and they decided they wanted to start cookies or baked goods and, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's no generational wealth for, on my side. There's nothing. I come from foster care. I have nothing besides my three sons and my husband. So I literally had to start this. And like other people, I'm not saying that there aren't people that are not black that have my, there are people that have my same story, but for the most part, the general, the generational wealth just isn't there because I didn't know the neighborhood I grew up was a red line neighborhood. I just knew it was a bad neighborhood and all the schools were bad. And you know, when we funneled into high school, we were, our education was subpar. So when we got to high school, our grades, we couldn't keep up with the kids that came funneled in from other schools. And so almost everybody from my neighborhood didn't go to college, ended up in jail or whatever. And I see that now because we were in a red line neighborhood where realtors weren't allowed to sell to, um, or that's the only place if you were black in the 60s, if you wanted to buy a house, that's the only neighborhood you could live in. And therefore our resources were lacking and it just, it's a domino effect. So there was no generational wealth. We didn't have the good schools. We didn't have um, just, that's for me, that's where it starts. You know, the value of the property taxes are down because the value of the area is bad. So there's no good resources or businesses. Our little league sucked. You know, it was like, the bad news bears times 10,000 because there's just no, you know, it's like everything's bad. So in my neighborhood, you either joined the military, you ended up dead, you ended up in prison. And that's kind of this, that's my long winded answer of explaining how just the cards aren't stacked same from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, there's many other factors to it. This could be an hour long conversation, yeah. but I think supporting Black-owned businesses is a way to show your support or recognize, yes, I recognize that you may have had an unfair, I don't want to say unfair, just an uneven advantage to someone, to a white person who came from, you know, who didn't have to live in a red line neighborhood and had maybe had exposure to better education or had uh, networking opportunities because their parents knew somebody to help them get to where they are. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's where if you're at the starting line of a race, we're back about a hundred yards and I'm trying to run to catch up and, you know, win the race or if not catch up with the other runners that were way far ahead of me. That's a long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if right. I'm eating. I was rambling. No, no, not at all. And But you're right though. That is a conversation that can go on for, you know, a very long time. Cause there's a lot there. Right. Right. You spoke a little bit about, uh, growing up. Uh, I did some research. You grew up in Sacramento, correct? Mm -hmm. How was it yeah, like growing up there? Um, my childhood was not easy. I grew up, like I said, in what I now know was a redlined area. And it was during the eighties when crack was coming up and the Crips and the blood. So I grew up in that environment. 
And, you know, in it wasn't easy. It was difficult. I remember getting government cheese blocks and not having food and going to bed hungry. I used to watch the love boat just so I could see what they were serving on the buffet and wish I could eat thought food. That was always my fantasy. So all I ever thought about was I was always hungry and all I ever thought about was trying to feed myself. And our grocery store was the 7-Eleven on the corner of our neighborhood. And sometimes I would eat a 10 cent pickle. That would be my meal. Other times I'd save up 59 cents and get a frozen burrito. And that was just, the, everyone else was like that as well. There were families who were worse off than me. So that was my normal. And it was hard trying to navigate that and try, you know, teachers, I think should, I think they're more aware now, but when kids are struggling in school, sometimes it's, they're starving, they're hungry, they can't focus such as me. I think I'm pretty smart, but I didn't do well in school. And I now know that a lot of my fact, the factors of, of how I was performing or a lot of the reasons why I was performing so poorly is because I was dealing with, you know, not getting sleep, having to go to bed hungry, trying to focus, you know, being hungry all day, trying to manage, you know, a household that was in chaos and worrying about that sort of thing. And, you know, trying to survive every day and trying to avoid the neighborhood pimp on a daily basis mm. when you get off your school bus, you know, all those factors. So I think I'm pretty smart, but I was told I was not smart because my grades didn't reflect that. And I now know that that's a result of my environment. And I think yeah. there are plenty of kids going through all that same stuff and worse. So I hope that educators see that and can recognize that and not write a child off if they're underperforming. So, yeah, I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I usually ask uh, whenever I ask somebody about, you know, what, what it was like growing up in wherever city they grew up in. I, I usually mm -hmm. like the, uh, I frame it in that way. Cause I like to hear what people remember about you know, growing up. I don't necessarily want to, you know, box anybody into what it is I want to hear yeah. about. I want to hear about what, what they remember. So no, you definitely answered it. Um, I left as soon as I turned 18. Like when the clock struck midnight, I was gone. Really? Like, yes. And I, I have not looked back. Wow. Is that when you came to, when you came, I'm acting like I'm still in San Diego. Is that when you <laughs> went to San Diego or did you end up somewhere else first? No, I just, I moved out. I was like, I'm out of mm. here. I, this is like ridiculous. I've lived in this chaos for 18 years. Yeah. I can't wait to get out and be on my own. So yeah, I already had a house or an apartment lined up and saved up my money and again, that's that resilience and that uh, mental toughness. Because I look at my kids when they turned 18 and I look at them and I say, whoa, when I was 18, I was living on my own, taking care of business. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and when did you end up in San Diego? I ended up in San Diego in 1996. My husband of 30 years, he took a job in San Diego and he came down here first to scope it out. And he said, you're never going to believe it. The weather's so nice. The water's <laughs> warm and it's beautiful. I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> Did it live up to the hype? It sure does. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I miss it. I, I do. I miss it a lot. Um, what's your favorite thing about living in San Diego? My favorite thing about living in San Diego is the proximity to everything. You can be in the mountains. You can be in the ocean. You can be in another country all within an hour. Yeah. And there's so much to do. So many resources. And I love it being a parent because my kids are exposed to so many things, whether it be arts, sciences, sports, 
all of that's available for them. Where I came from, it was, you know, we're boxed into my little mm. neighborhood and I never knew any of the things that I now know exist existed. Yeah. Speaking about your kids, I know you said, uh, they went, uh, two of them were in college when you started, uh, Maya's cookies, correct? Correct. I'm curious. Uh, can you speak a little bit about wh- what they, uh, do they have a role in Maya's cookies? And I'm also curious as to maybe what they studied. Were you involved in their decisions making as far as what they majored in? I'm just kind of curious to see what that dynamic is like. Sure. So I have three sons and my eldest son is he, he played basketball, college basketball at Tufts University in mm. Massachusetts. He is a history major, works in tech in the Bay Area, and he's a surfer. My middle son is uh, Ryan. He's the director of finance at Maya's Cookies. He studied finance with a minor in economics at University of San Francisco. And he graduated in 2019 and has been working at another company for the past year and a half to learn his trade. And then he brought all that skill to Maya's Cookies. So he works here now. My youngest son is a junior at Marquette University, and he's also studying business. He definitely wants to be uh, have a role here at Maya's Cookies. Currently, he's a dishwasher, a delivery driver, and a box prepper at Maya's Cookies in the summertime. So my boys are definitely involved in the business. They are proud. They love what we're doing. And I'm so happy that we're keeping it in the family. That's amazing. It sounds like you're very proud of them as well, as you should be. Thank um, you. Yeah. Speaking with my parents and uh, listening to their conversations with other people about, you know, I guess me and, and, and my siblings, uh, I've, I've grown to appreciate how, um, how parents, you know, speak about their kids and, and how, and how, how they express their, how proud they am, they are of them. So I, I love to hear Yes. That. I'm, you know, what I'm most proud of is their character. Yeah. They're very kind, loving young men. They have great character and I support whatever their decisions are, whatever they decide to do, as long as it makes them happy. I am hundred percent there for them, but I'm most proud of their character. Switching gears a little bit. Um, when, how long have you been vegan? You know, what was that decision to go vegan like for you? I've been vegan for 15 years. I didn't set out to become vegan. It just evolved into veganism. Uh, being in the fitness industry, my main focus was nutrition. I was fascinated by nutrition. So the more I learned about nutrition, the more I would uh, decide to cut out certain things from my, I don't like to use the word diet because I say it's die with a T on the end, but I'll say lifestyle. Um, until one day I realized, I said, you know what? I think I'm vegan. So I don't eat dairy anymore. Uh, I don't eat meat. Uh, so yeah, it just evolved. And then the more I became involved in veganism, the more my reason for being veganism evolved too. The more I learned about the environment, the more I learned about animal agriculture and, uh, animal abuse. And so it just evolved from there, but it started out for health reasons, being a fitness instructor. Yeah. And the food is far more delicious than, I mean, I've gained weight (laughs) because the food is so outstanding. Being a vegan is amazing because we have so much delicious food to choose from. Yeah, I, um, it's funny because I was a bit of a picky eater. I think I got it from my dad Mm -hmm. and I can honestly say that I've tried more 
types of food, different types of food since going vegan than, you know, when, when I wasn't vegan, the food you're right is delicious. And we have a lot of options. Yeah. Um, you said, you said you've been vegan for about 15 years. For about 15 years. Got yeah. it. So, you know, just kind of doing the math here, you are, you were already married and had kids. So my question is, is your family vegan? Are your kids vegan? Mm -hmm. Is your husband vegan? Yep. So uh, being the mother, I took on the role of preparing everyone's meals, three mm. squares a day. So yeah, I make vegan food. So my kids grew up eating vegan food. They uh, didn't become true vegans themselves until they were adults. Uh, they would eat, you know, they when they got their driver's license, they would go to In-N-Out or go wherever. But they are very well schooled on the benefits of veganism. So my husband is vegan. Mm. Uh, he made the transition about five years ago wow. and I basically said, you're basically vegan cause I make all of your food. So, I mean, you might as well, but you know, when he would travel for work, go out to business dinners, he would eat a burger or whatever. Yeah. My oldest son, uh, became fully vegan about four years ago. And my other, my two other sons are almost there. And I, it's not something that I pushed on them, but mm -hmm. they do they're around it so much and they're exposed to all the different vegan vendors at all the events I go to. So they know how good it is and how easy it is. And I was that mom back, you know, 15 years ago, I was the mom that other moms would mock and say, your kids are going to grow up and go buck wild and eat all the junk food and blah, blah, blah. She won't let them have junk food. And I just, you know, <laughs> I feel validated now because they now <laughs> call me and ask for recipes or I just, they all thought I was depriving my kids because I didn't feed them McDonald's. And I said, no, I just choose to feed them healthier, delicious yeah. food. That's my choice. I don't mock you for your decisions you make in your house. Why right. are you putting on me? So I was that mom that they all would tease and I mm -hmm. just took it and would dismiss it. But, you know, again, if you flip the script and, you know, if I were to tease them about something they do in their lifestyle, it wouldn't seem appropriate, but I guess people feel the need to tease a vegan parent on their uh food choices that they're feeding their children no yeah you're, you're right whenever you flip the script it, it definitely uh, doesn't sound <laughs> like it's something that should be done anyway right so right? <laughs> uh, uh, it's funny what people deem acceptable because it's not directed at them right <laughs> i'm curious to know as a black woman was there difficulty that you experienced in your vegan transition or maybe something that you struggle with now that maybe you know a white person that's gone vegan wouldn't necessarily deal with um i not really i think more you know the black vegan community is the fastest growing vegan community in the united states mm -hmm. and i think back in the day i would um you know they would call me anorexic no, not that I'm anorexic, but they would just assume veganism. That means I'm anorexic. So that was, you know, around, I would get that a lot. Like, what are you anorexic or something? What are you eating? You must not be eating anything, you know, just eat a little bit of cornbread, butter. And so, you know, I would get that because soul food is generally pretty fatty. But for the most part, I think now we, as a black community are getting woke to what the health disparities there are in the United States and how eating plant-based is just a way to overall improve our health, yeah. live longer and not be part of a statistic of, uh, you know, population with high rates of diabetes and heart disease.
disease. So I really, the black community, full-blown support now. I love it. I love that we're the fastest growing community. From what I understand, you're very much involved in uh, helping educate members of the black community on veganism and, and, and a plant-based diet. Um, can you tell yeah. me a little bit about what that work looks like and why it's important to, for you to do that? Sure. So pre-COVID, I was doing outreach at different organizations. One was an organization called Crossroads for Women, and they it's a halfway house for women that are coming out of prison and getting back into society. So what I would do um, is go to Crossroads for Women and do outreach, do lectures, and put on fun presentations on how to improve your nutrition with plants. That was always fun. And a lot of times I was greatly received and it was fun. I would bring new foods for them to try and just show them what's out there. Um, So that's one way. Another way is I was doing outreach and speaking engagements uh, within the underserved communities. And we would just teach uh, how to live plant-based and what the benefits were and just, just a soft introduction. And I always love to have food samples. So I was doing a lot of uh, lectures and presentations on that. And I would also, I was getting a lot of support from the PCRM, which is the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. They have a whole uh, brochure on uh, BIPOC populations and veganism. So I I was able to pull a lot of resources from them for my presentation. So it didn't just seem like me spewing information, like I had scientific data to show them and handouts with recipes and different things. And I also do grocery tours in natural food stores and show, just go down the aisles and show different foods. And some, one of the local stores actually were very receptive and they would have a representative go on the tour with me and they would bring out samples and let uh, the participants try samples. So I was doing it that way. Um, Prior to COVID, we were about to, I formed a a group of black vegan businesses, like a little allyship. And one of the things that we were proposing to do is show some of the documentaries at our uh, local library that was in an underserved community and make that available to the public and just host an event where they can come watch the documentary. We can speak on it and uh, have pamphlets and food for them to try. So that's how, what I was doing since COVID, I haven't done much. Uh, I've done panels on zoom, but I haven't been out in the community the way I like to. Am I correct in saying that part of the proceeds from Maya's cookies go to help some community organizations? Absolutely. I have several organizations that I'm so proud to be able to support. And we will, uh, during different times of the year, we'll launch a collection where the proceeds will go to that organization that we're supporting, one of the organizations. So right now we have our pride collection and uh, we have two charities that proceeds are going to be going towards. So I'm really proud to be able to do that. I never thought I would be, well, I thought I would get to a place where I could give back that much, but I didn't think it would be now. I thought it was going to take a few more years. So yes, there's, I just want to mention a couple of those charities in case one of your listeners wants to um, look in and support them as well. One's called Detour Fancy, and it's a charity that supports local young women of color and it mentors them through high school to help them uh, just get on track and make sure they have mentors to help them with the college application process. They go to different events, just exposure to 
things that they probably wouldn't have had exposure to, whether it be the sciences, the arts, financial mm-hmm. literacy. So it's a couple years long, the program, uh, once a girl joins, yeah. and it helps them navigate high school years into college. Another program that we uh, also like to support is called the Achiever Program. And it's the same thing, only with young men. And that's the San Diego chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. So that's an African-American female organization. And it's a community service organization. They do the same thing with young men. And then we also have animal rights charities that we support. Farm Animal Refuge is a local animal refuge. We also support PETA. And we also support several other major animal rights organizations. So I like, and this year we partnered with um, the local LGBTC. I always, I can't, my tongue gets twisted. <laughs> Sorry. No worries, no worries. But um, it's called the Center. And it supports youth. Mm. So we're supporting that as well. And it's on our website. And I also saw that you all have done um, some beach cleanups in San Diego. Oh, uh, yeah. Why is that important Definitely. for you as well? I mean, it seems it sounds like you, you're, you know, prioritizing not just, you know, community engagement, but, you know, really doing your part to, you know, make the community a better place. Why is something like that important for you? Because it's important for me as the founder and leader of Maya's Cookies to demonstrate model behavior of how we are supposed to be in this world. And that means taking care of the environment. And I say that meaning I have a staff of 15 and how can I be a leader and not and be vegan and not be uh, showing them how to be a vegan, how to be a leader. So shine by example. So that means taking care of the environment, taking care of the animals, taking care of my fellow brothers and sisters and humanity. So that's what really drives me just to make sure that I'm setting a great example for my family, for my boys, and also for my staff and also for just the community in general. You know, like you said, I'm getting a little bit more exposure and more attention. So I want to make sure that people that are looking into us are seeing what we're doing and seeing it where they can, maybe they'll see that and say, Oh, I could do that. Maybe I can do a cleanup in my neighborhood. It doesn't have to be a beach. Maybe we go to the parks mm-hmm. and just showing how it all takes. Everyone has a role in how this world is and you have to do your part. Yeah. Yeah. Make the world a better place. I agree. I agree. I know we touched on it very briefly. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the storefront you all opened, what that process was like, um, sure. when you all opened, where people can find that? Absolutely. So the Maya's Cookie storefront is literally the same size as our farmer's market booth that we've been in for the past six years. So I feel like I've been trained for working in that small space. And it was also the front lot lobby of our production facility. What would happen is we were baking thousands of cookies every day. The smell is wafting through the air and people would come knocking on the door and say, can we buy a cookie? And we'd have to tell them, no, these are for online orders. And they'd look at us like, I can't even just get one. So I said, well, you know, maybe we can support a store. I never wanted to be in a strip mall because I didn't think we could afford a retail operation. But, you know, we have our existing lobby. We put some paint on it and turned it into a little storefront, made it look nice and inviting. And people are coming. We're in an industrial area because, again, we're a production facility and warehouse. So there's no retail uh, shopping malls. But people make the trek back in here to come get the cookies. And we're so grateful and thankful that people are coming. And I, if I'm there 
when people are coming, I always go out and chit chat and talk to them and help let them know how appreciative I am and thank them for stopping because I know it's not easy to get to. So they had to really make a trek to get to my cookies. So yeah. I try to make sure that they their experience is enjoyable. Very nice. And whereabouts in San Diego are you? Is that located? It's called the Grantville area, which I had never even known there was a Grantville area until I moved in here with our production facility. It's near San Diego State University. So it's across the highway from San Diego State, sort of. It was during COVID when I first heard about you, right? uh, And I made it a point. I was living in LA. I was, every time I went down to LA to visit, I mean, to San Diego to visit my parents, I was hoping to check you guys out. And then when I finally made it down there, it was on a day that you all were closed. Oh no! So, um, yeah, I, I was. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no worries. You know, but I, I actually didn't get to try uh, any of your cookies until I moved out here. I was like, nope, I've had enough. I've been, uh, I've had enough of looking at their Instagram. I got to order them. So, uh, <laughs> I made, uh, delicious. The, Thank you. the, mar- the, the marble, the marble fudge. Marble fudge. Oh my God! Yes. Um, Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Cookies make people happy, and there's nothing more fun than getting a box of cookies delivered to your doorstep. Yeah, I, the the marble fudge is amazing. First time going to Maya's Cookies, right? If somebody was going to try one cookie, which one would you suggest somebody would try as an introduction? Well, as an introduction to Maya's Cookies, I would say try the chocolate chip s'mores. That seems to be a crowd favorite, and that's the cookie that PETA voted as best baked good for 2020. So I would say definitely try the s'mores. I agree. That one was delicious as well. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Is there anything else about Maya's cookies that I may have missed that you want to, you know, want to talk about or maybe that yeah. you want people to know? Yeah. I want people to know more about our product, meaning that I like to say our cookies are elevated. So it's not, you're not going to just bite into a cookie and say, oh, that was good. You're going to bite into a cookie and say, mm, that's good. And ooh, what's that other flavor I taste? So I like to play, make the uh, cookies have layers of flavor. Mm. So for instance, a brown sugar butterscotch cookie, we finish that with little sea salt. So when you bite into it, you're going to get the brown sugar, then you're going to taste the butterscotch, and then you're going to taste a finish of sea salt on top. Um, so the cookie, I like to take desserts, traditional desserts, and turn them into a cookie somehow. It's still maintaining uh, the quality. We use artisanal ingredients they are handcrafted and our cookies are made with love and i want people to be happy and i want this cookie to spark happiness and joy and not bitterness and anger <laughs> <laughs> and we have the oatly soft serve it's the only place you can get it on uh, in california where can people check you out online instagram uh, in person all of that so online, mayascookies.com, on our Instagram, mayascookies San Diego. And we are starting the festival circuit again. We'll be in Sacramento in June. So we're going to start traveling. We'll be in Long Beach in July. So start check our socials to see where you can find us in a city near you. So we're starting to get out there more. That COVID is starting to, you know, allow us to be out more, I guess you could say. Yeah. Things are opening back up. Things are opening back up. It was so nice to speak with you. Likewise. It, it really was. I, I, I know you've been very busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to Thank me. Thank you. Um, My pleasure. Anytime. 
if you're available in, in the future, if you want to do it again, I would definitely love to follow up with you and see how everything else is going. Yeah, let's do it again. Most definitely. There's, you, you know, we have some announcements to make and there's some stuff coming up the pipe. So awesome. So, yeah, let's do it again. Most definitely. Okay, just reach out when you're ready. I definitely will. Thank you again. You're welcome. Once again, that was Maya Madsen, founder of Maya's Cookies. You can find them on Instagram at Maya's Cookies San Diego, online at mayascookies.com, and of course, in person in my hometown and America's finest city, San Diego. You can find Beyond the Kale on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Beyond Kale Pod. Feel free to follow us on any of those social media platforms and wherever it is you go to get your podcasts. And of course, thank you all very much for listening to our first ever episode. We have more on the way. So please definitely come back and check them out.